Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Jolene Creighton. She's the founding editor-in-chief of Futurism. It's an online publication that talks about uh, future topics and science and things like that. So, uh, Jolene, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm great. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's fantastic to be here remotely, I suppose, since I'm just on the line. Yeah, that's uh, great. So tell me about Futurism. What was your idea when you first um, you know, created the publication and you know, started out yeah. as the editor? Well, I, so I'm a science writer, a journalist, and I actually had a publication called From Quarks to Quasars that focused a lot more on astronomy uh, and physics and all of that wonderfulness. And I got connected to Alex Klokas through a mutual friend. Uh, he is the CEO of Futurism, and uh, he had at the time a couple of other people who were founding members who were on board. There was a president, uh, Dan Cetera, and then the chief technology officer, Jordan Lejuan, and they needed someone to come on and oversee all of the editorial content. And the, the basic concept was a lot of people are talking about science and, and technology, but what really seems to be missing is informed conversations about what this really means for the everyday individual and how these things are, as we speak, reshaping politics and how we interact with one another um, and education and really just every aspect of society. And so that was really the idea behind futurism, um, to really focus on the, the so what. So what does this mean for us and for our society and our world? And you know, what do these developments say about where we are heading or where we're potentially heading? Um, so that's basically futurism in a nutshell, uh, and that was roughly okay. three years ago, a little over three years ago now that we launched. And have, uh, have things changed since then, or is the focus still the same? Uh, at Futurism? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So the, the publication still focuses um, on science and technology and, and how it's reshaping our world. So we don't really cover stuff like new iPhone launches or you know um, product updates. Uh, for iPhones and tablets and so on. We focus a lot more on uh, larger disruptive things that pose potentially existential threats to society. So artificial intelligence, uh, CRISPR gene editing, blockchain, and you know things along, of that nature. Yeah, I tend to focus on the same stuff here, but uh, more just the excitement of it and uh, you know, the technologies that people think may be far away, but they're not far away. They're actually here and they're oh, in yeah. use at least somewhat. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, especially, you know, you talk about artificial intelligence and self-driving cars. I mean, they're not 10 years away. They're not even five years away. They're here now. Uh, Uber has them driving on streets in uh, Phoenix and I believe in places in California. Uh, China is launching a number of, of different um, services. Um, a lot of places are already testing out the technology. Uh, and I've noticed since Futurism launched, there's actually been quite a few other publications that have started really focusing on 
the future. So um, you know, Forbes and Washington Post and a, a bunch of other different outlets um, all have dedicated sections specifically to you know the future and how it impacts the world. Or yeah, sorry, it's, it's, the, the future and how you know science and and technology are reshaping it. Yeah. Well, I think we're just starting to see more and more popular culture, you know, all these uh, aspects come into fruition and all these technologies that are really starting to take off. You know, VR has had a resurgence. AI has all of a sudden had a resurgence. Um, you know, 3D printing, a lot of patents have yeah. expired and now it's becoming more widespread. So it's, it yeah, just seems like the future is suddenly here. It's kind of funny. You know? Yeah, well, it, it has a lot to do with the pace of change, which I know everyone talks about a lot, but um, with the advent of, you know, the computer and the way that our technologies are just shrinking year after year after year, which allows us to basically pack more power into smaller and smaller devices. And it just allows us to do so much more. Um, and the pace of that, just it just keeps going. Um, and and so these disruptions are just getting more and more widespread. Um, I mean, at this point, they've reached, you know, nearly every place on the globe. I mean, it's just what half a, a century ago, um, trying to, you know, understand news on, on a global scale was something that was extremely, extremely difficult just because the nature of the news cycle and, and how long it took to get information out there. But now with YouTube, you can live stream an event. I mean, as it's happening to just everyone on the planet, it's just, um, it's really amazing. Yeah. yeah. There was a book by Alvin Toffler from years ago called, I think, Future Shock. And he talked about the pace of, um, of innovation in different industries. And, you know, of course, the government and, and education was, you know, probably some of the last and the slowest. But it's really, um, you know, future creep is really invading everything we do. I think that's uh, yeah. why we're seeing more of it. Like you said, it's accelerating. Yeah. And um, and the problem, because you'd mentioned, um, you know, education and uh, the various places that are often the last to sort of reap the benefits of technological development. And I think one of the, the issues with technology is that when you, I was at um, a summit last year and they had a bunch of individuals from the Department of Defense there and they were talking, the, the topic was um, artificial intelligence and uh, what its role is in government. And people were you know, asking these government officials how you know, the United States is incorporating technologies into their, their system. So like HR and, and basic processing like that. And their response is really quite shocking. Um, and they basically said that because of all of the red tape um, and the pace at which the government moves and all of the hurdles you have to surmount in order to get these things adopted on a really basic level, um, that they are just decades behind where technology actually is. Um, and I think that's why we started to see more and more private industry really starting to step up and fulfill these gaps where the government you know, just isn't able to, to keep pace. So, you know, kind of jumping topics, but SpaceX is uh, a great example and how they're doing all of these, you know, rocket launches and, you know, reusable rockets and going to be ferrying individuals to the International Space Station for NASA, um, and they're just private investors are able to accomplish things that the government just can't because of the pace at which it moves. Yeah, well, they'll also you know push government towards uh, 
adopting technologies faster, select ones. It'll it'll help cut through the bureaucracy a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, and it's it's interesting uh, the back and forth, like you know, self driving cars. Um, one of the major hurdles, uh, indeed, probably the major hurdle to realizing self driving cars, based on the researchers that I've spoken to, is not a technological barrier, but but rather it is working out the regulations that will govern self-driving cars and parallel to that or along the same lines, the regulations that should be built into the systems themselves. So the the ethics that will basically guide how they make decisions when it comes to life or death scenarios. Any examples of some of the, you know, maybe we could step through that. So any examples of some of the ethics or decisions that you know of that uh, we um, mean baked into self-driving cars who are being considered? Oh, oh. so for example, I mean, the one that people always talk about is just the, the really basic one, uh, which is if a car is driving down the road and it is going to crash into someone, um, but it can avoid the collision and save the other individual's life by, say, going off the road or you know, going into the other lane or something like that, and putting the driver's life at more risk. Um, should the self-driving car do that? Like, is the obligation to protect other individuals, or is the obligation of the self-driving car to protect the driver? And I believe it was Radiolab actually did a really interesting podcast on this topic exclusively. Um, and the research has found that individuals um, they want the self-driving car to protect them. But of course, we can't just have self-driving cars do what we want. Um, And then along those same lines, once you know what the car is going to do, so whether or not it's going to protect protect the pedestrian or protect the driver or or so on, uh, then you come down to the question of, okay, well, who is at fault when a self-driving car does eventually kill someone? I mean, we've already had one individual get hit during a test uh, and killed by a self-driving car. And although even the most modest projection shows that self-driving cars are going to dramatically, dramatically reduce accidents and deaths caused by cars, uh, they're still going to happen. Um, And so figuring out who's responsible, is it the the driver, um, the individual who is behind the wheel, even though they're not technically driving? Is it the person who programmed the machine? Um, Those are the difficult ethical questions that currently policymakers and researchers are are trying to figure out how to navigate so that we can realize these technologies like self-driving cars on a, on a large scale. Yeah. Or the fact that, um, you know, if, if, and when self-driving cars prove themselves to have an accident rate that's a half or a third less than human drivers, you know, will there be legislation that does not allow you to drive on your own except in emergencies or at all? Yeah. That's the the other thing. Yeah, and that's because a lot of people, um, again, like the research across the board shows self-driving cars will eventually reduce accidents just because machines can respond so much faster than humans can. Now, we obviously have a bit more to go, technologically speaking, in order to get self-driving cars to the point to where they can respond in all situations. Um, which is why we don't have them, you know, just driving everywhere currently. 
Um, but despite the fact that research shows that they're going to reduce accidents and uh, deaths, individuals in surveys, I think it was like 80%, it was an overwhelming majority, said that even if research has proven that self-driving cars you know, are able to successfully drive and navigate and can do so better than humans, they still wouldn't trust a car, a machine um, to take the wheel. And, and so how we're going to need to think very seriously about how we're going to prepare for that, because it's one thing for the government to say, okay, no one can drive anymore. Cars, you know, have to be the drivers. It's another thing to get society to accept that. And that's actually a large reason of why I think that futurism um, is so important and why the communication about these technologies and how they're impacting us is so absolutely necessary because what we don't want is something where people are afraid of these technologies, where we have something that can objectively reduce harm and objectively save lives, and we don't use the technology because we're afraid of it. Um, one example is vaccines. People, you know, it's, it's still a debate in society about whether or not vaccines cause autism, but it is not, and it has not been a debate in the sciences for a very, very long time. Um, and so the more information we can get out there about these technologies, the better I think people will be prepared for the future and more willing to accept things that make their lives better and protect their lives and the lives of their loved ones. Yeah, uh, that's good insight. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so, you know, you've, I'm sure you've seen hundreds or thousands of different um, future technologies and endeavors, which is a cool benefit of being a part of a publication like Futurism. Yeah. <laughs> so one in particular has really touched you, you know, excited you or bothered you or just, you know, influenced your thinking over the past you know, few years you've been involved with it? Well, one that is really, really excited me um, is the reusable rockets. Um, I mean, first off, they're just amazing to see a rocket take off, travel to outer space, and then touch back down on Earth and somehow land upright. I mean, these things are just absolutely mammoth. It is just a feat of epic proportions. Um, and it dramatically, dramatically reduces the cost of, of space flight. Uh, and what that means from a practical standpoint is that it's no longer national governments who are the only ones who have access to space. Uh, the price reduction is so great that everyday individuals can launch experiments to space uh, aboard, you know, a SpaceX rocket or eventually aboard, you know, perhaps Blue Origins rocket um, or any other number of private industries that spring up over the next, you know, few years or, or decades um, and, and do tests. Uh, and uh, eventually, um, Blue Origin specifically is working on, you know, space tourism. Uh, and, and just the idea that individuals who aren't trained astronauts could in the very near future, in the order of years, uh, take a day trip to space is just so awe-inspiring, I think. Um, so yeah, hands-down reusable rockets, I think, are, are one of the things that just are, are absolutely astounding. Any other uh, technologies that, you know, and maybe the other side of things, you know, not astounding, but stuff that you, know, yeah. you really don't like, um, but, uh, but it's important yeah, to talk about. So I'll I give you an really, example, really... like the... Uh, Oh, sure. the, the social credit system in China. That's one of the oh, things yeah. that really bothers me that 
you know, we don't have to talk about that, but it's just an example. But what, what's that for yeah, you? Yeah, no, no. I mean, that's actually, that. yeah, no, that's actually a great one, though. Um, we did a fairly extensive article <clears throat> on it at Futurism. Um, and this goes back to sort of the ethics um, that we build into our technologies. Um, so there's obviously an issue with the social credit system, which if individuals aren't familiar, basically China is creating an algorithm that rates citizens. Uh, according to how well good of a citizen they are. Now, of course, this is a serious issue from a surveillance standpoint, because the idea is that the government will monitor literally everything that you do and then make decisions that impact whether or not you can travel to other countries, uh, whether or not you can get a loan for a house, uh, what schools your your children can get into. Um, but more realistically, like it it influences the the ethical decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis. And to me, that's that's what's so perverse and frightening about this. Uh, one of the things that an individual that we spoke with um, who was working with the team that's building the algorithm that you know, China is going to use, one of the things that they mentioned is that if an individual buys say, diapers at the store, the system will recognize that. And because, quote, parents tend to be more responsible individuals, it will give them a better score. Now, the idea there is that having a child is is somehow a, a moral act. That's basically what we're telling people by building the algorithm in this way. Um, it's just, I mean, I can't imagine a future in which people are literally having kids to increase their citizenship score. But that's, that's quite literally the road that China is is taking. That's terrifying. Um, and it's not just China, though, that's, that's you know, using algorithms and, and, I don't know, technologies that are in ways that are somewhat uh, questionable. This is um, a timely topic, and I'm, I'm sure also very, very controversial. Um, but I was reading the other day about an app that a, a company is working on. I, I can't remember the name of it. Basically, a consent app uh, to, to give consent for sexual intercourse. Uh, the idea is that two individuals sign on to this app um, and it asks a series of, series of questions about you know, your, your boundaries and what you're willing to commit to. And then you both sign off on it. Now, I guess in a, in a basic sense, um, it could be a way to ensure that individuals are on the same page and helping to foster communication. Um, and I don't want to talk about, you know, hacking concerns or, or anything like that. Um, but of course, individuals, you know, you can change your mind at any time. Um, and right. apps just don't account for that and, and can't account for that. So one of the things that I'm also concerned about is that we're trying to automate things or incorporate technologies in ways that just don't make sense um, and could actually be quite detrimental if you take it to its logical conclusion. Yeah, there's there's good and bad. I mean, for the most part, I think these technologies are good, but um, yeah, there are some serious possible consequences. The social credit app, you know, just to say one more thing about it, um, you know, that also affects who you're friends with in social credit. So if I'm friends with you and your score goes lower, I'm encouraged not to associate with you because I look bad associating with you with a lower score, which is terrible. So it's it's like oh, yeah. crazy social engineering, and, uh, and it's just an awful, awful thing. Oh see. yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. that's why these these you know questions about 
um, who is going to be the one making decisions and how are we going to implement the implement these technologies are are so important. It's the stuff that we the questions that we try and tackle at Futurism by speaking with uh, researchers who are studying you know, the technology from a philosophical and um, societal standpoint, um, the researchers and scientists who are actually working to build the technologies and, and government policymakers, because it's not, excuse me, it's not an easy question to answer. Um, because if you put technology in the hands of the state, you know, you could go down paths like China, um, social engineering and surveillance become you know, serious questions. Uh, but then, of course, should it just rest in the, in the individual who makes it? Because that's also fraught with a lot of questions and, and concerns and, and problems, because then we're assuming the individual who, who makes the technology is going to have society's best interests at heart, which, as we've seen through um, social media giants like Facebook, certainly isn't always the case. Often they're driven by money. So I, I think we need a really careful balance of you know government influence and individual feedback in order to ensure that these technologies are adopted safely and ultimately they they do benefit society uh, because the potential is is so great and so promising um, but across industries from you know biotechnology and, and gene editing to you know space flight and reusable rockets and um, you know AI weapons um, the threat is also very real. Yeah. So what is it? Um, it's kind of a silly question, but what does it feel like to be you? You know, you're you're looking at all this new technology all the time. You're being exposed to things that most people are never exposed to, which is really cool. When you interact with friends and family or you're just out and about, you know, you have your own perspective because you've seen all this stuff. What is the real world and, and people that aren't in the know? What are they like to you versus you? you know, what, are they, what do you know that they don't? And what has that done to your interactions? Um, well, I think, honestly, in, um, I don't, I, it's a small thing, I suppose. Um, but one of the things that I have noticed, the difference between kind of myself and individuals who maybe don't have as from an understanding of, of science and technology, um, is I'm not afraid. Um, there, there are serious concerns with technology, as we were just talking about. But when a lot of publications and a lot of news outlets talk about these technologies, they are in catastrophic ways. They always seem to ta- travel down the path of, of doom. And, you know, we hear, it seems like every time someone writes or speaks about artificial intelligence, they immediately jump to Skynet or to, you know, Terminator or, or some other apocalyptic scenario. Um, and most is just completely and, and totally unrealistic. Um, you know, even if something bad does happen, it's generally not in the way that we expect. So um, I'm not afraid of, you know, an AI apocalypse or something like that. What I am afraid of is the things that we see Facebook doing, which is curating the news and information that people get. Now, that's also an application of artificial intelligence, and it's a very insidious one. Um, and I, I think one of the reasons that it is so detrimental is because people don't recognize it. They don't see it. They're looking for, you know, some gene-edited monster. I mean, Rampage, this movie with Dwayne The Rock Johnson just came out, and the, the premise is, is literally that an ape gets hit with CRISPR gene editing, and suddenly it's, it's 30 feet tall. 
That's the stuff that people are looking yeah, for. Yep. That, that's completely unrealistic. Um, right. the, the stuff that we need to be wary of is, is often far, far simpler um, and more mundane. And in fact, stuff that we can easily protect ourselves from um, you know, and, and manage. Um, and I think that's one of the things that we really always try to communicate at Futurism, uh, what, what the actual threats really are and what people need to know and be informed about um, in order to protect yourself where you know where you can and where you do in fact need to um, and you know what to let go of what you don't actually have to be worried about or or afraid of um, so yeah basically just the hype I suppose it's really really easy to not get involved in that into you know see when something is, is being oversold. Um, so a lot of times I'll see society <laughs> and people around me, uh, an, an article will come out or a new technology and news will come out about it and everyone will be, you know, kind of freaking out and it's just, mm. yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I've also seen that uh, certain technologies that, you know, they may be hyped in an article or in the press and then if you actually experience them, unfortunately they're far lamer well, they're less far along oh, yeah. than the, the article seems to, to say. Yeah. yeah. Um, another example is um, virtual reality. Uh, have you ever um, tried a VR device? Yeah. Yeah, I've tried several of them. You know, CES yeah, yeah. And various places, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, and a, a lot of people that I've met actually haven't. The, the, the best that they've ever had would be, you know, like the little, I don't know, what, I can't remember what Google called it, a little Google box, basically, where you just, you know, put your phone in this like viewfinder type device and uh, it kind of makes things look, you know, relatively 3D and VR-esque, but it's, it's really not um, true virtual reality. Um, and the first right, one Google that I tried was yeah. Google Cardboard, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And it just does not do the technology justice at all. Um, the first one that I really tried was the Oculus Rift. Um, and it's, it's really just mind blowing. Um, I do think that there's a, a little ways we have to go yet, um, in order to really have VR come into its own. Um, I think one of the, the largest barriers, um, is a, the price, uh, and then B the fact that a lot of devices are still currently tethered to a PC. Um, and so you're limited in how far you can move, which obviously, you know, limits how the game or, um, you know, whatever it is, or the VR movie can be uh, designed. But again, um, technology is accelerating at such a rate, uh, devices are getting smaller and, and smaller, and already Intel and a number of, of other organizations are or have launched uh, devices that, that operate untethered. It's just going to take a little bit for um, the price of those to come down to where the everyday individual can really afford it. But um, oh, that was, it was just so mind blowing the first time I tried virtual reality. Yeah. I remember when I went to Japan a year ago and I was looking for Bitcoin because I heard, you know, supposedly that Bitcoin was everywhere there. <laughs> but I didn't cover the whole country certainly, but I didn't really see it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a, a lot of the publications, um, if I remember correctly, a couple of years ago, we're talking about, I mean, virtual reality is fantastic, but they're talking about that in similar ways to uh, cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain technologies as though they were going to, you know, be just taking over the world 
on the order of a year or so. Um, and that hasn't quite happened, as I said, largely, I think, due to the, the price. Um, but it's the same with uh, with blockchain. I mean, it is a very disruptive force, but um, we ha- we don't have a lot of you know DApps applications that certainly everyday individuals aren't using. Most people, you know, don't have the first idea of what blockchain is or why it is so potentially disruptive and revolutionary. Um, and we don't really have like there's no current real utility um, beyond you know cryptocurrencies. Um, at least for the everyday individual. So, um, but yeah, oh my gosh, publications are, are writing about that, and hype is a definitely a, an, an issue in that industry in particular. So, you know, a, a silly question is, what is what is the future of futurism? Where are you guys headed? Are you uh, just gonna, future... are you going in the stream of wherever technology is taking you? Um, yeah, that that's the basic idea. So we have a couple of. Um, you know, sections that we cover, there's artificial intelligence, um, biotechnology, so human augmentation, um, blockchain. And a couple of years ago, uh, we covered blockchain far, far less, um, but consensus and a number of, uh, you know, ventures and, and startups have really started investing in the space. And as a result, p- people are covering it more. So individuals are becoming more informed. So that's one section that we've dramatically upped um, the amount of coverage that um, is is done, uh, and people are becoming a lot more informed about that. Uh, and and yeah, the, we tend to just um, follow whatever the changes are in society. So if um, there is some new technology created tomorrow that somehow impacts us, I'm sure the publication will. Um, begin covering that because ultimately that's, you know, it's what it's all about. It's about covering those disruptions that are fundamentally reshaping the nature of our world and, and what it means to be human. Um, at its core, that's what futurism is. And hopefully that's what it will, will always be. So in a large way, um, yeah, it, it was uh, historically, I followed the trends and uh, whatever seemed to be important. Yeah. Well, very good. So where's uh, the best place for folks to find out more about futurism and read your publications and get involved? Well, you can go to the website, which is uh, futurism.com. We also have a Facebook page, which uh, is just futurism on Facebook. Uh, We have an Instagram account uh, where we share more, you know, videos and uh, things of that nature have like a daily science update and, and stuff like that. Um, we're also on Twitter, basically all of the, the social media platforms. And uh, we also have an app. So if you go to the app store, we have one for um, iPhone and for Android. So you'll find us there as well. Well, that's great. Well, Jolene, thanks for coming. And uh, it's been a good talk. You're a kindred yeah, spirit, thanks so literally. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.